0: This is very practical information that we can use and apply to our everyday life. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 5. I want to start with verse 1, though. Take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them, otherwise ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have the glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have the reward. But when thou doest thine alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth. Take thine alms, which it be in secret, and thy father, which seeth in secret himself, shall reward thee openly. When thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and then when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy father, which is in secret, and thy Father, which seeth in secret, shall re- reward thee openly. Now, not if you pray, but when you pray, enter in your closet, private prayer, secret prayer between you and your heavenly Father. Now, he, Jesus was dealing with a very serious situation that day. The scribes and the Pharisees, when they were going to give their offerings, would have there would be some that would play a trumpet before them as they were going to the temple. And they'd say, oh, there go the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the and the uh, scribes. They're going to give their offering today. Isn't that one? They're being faithful to the Lord. They thought, I mean, they were acting like we're doing this to be an example to you. And Jesus said, you're flaunting it. And I've been in churches where they've said, how many are going to give a $1,000 tonight? And these people, will you stand up and wave their checks a $1,000? Bless God, let's just give them all a hand right now for... And then let's come on up here and put it right here in my Bible, or put it in this boot, or put it in this bag, or whatever. God's going to bless you. when you drop it in there when it hits the bottom of that bag. I mean, God's blessing a hundredfold is going to come back to you. And and, and, oh, they're just so thrilled up there. And they walk back smiling, I gave a thousand dollars. I want to tell you something, they already have their reward. I didn't say that. Jesus said that. It was a very dangerous practice that they were pulling in that day. And other people were looking and saying, oh, I wish I could do that. I told you of the Scotch Presbyterian pastor that went to a Pentecostal church and they did that one night. How many are going to give 10000 for the building fund? How many are going to give 5000 And they all stood up and he thought that would be perfect if we could do that in our church. And he tried it on Sunday morning, but he knew his deacons wouldn't stand up by themselves if he tried it. So he, he hooked up an electric buzzer to each one of their pews. And when he said, how many are going to give 10000 a day? He flicked the switch and the next morning the paper said 10 of the leading deacons of the Scotch Presbyterian church were electrocuted in the pews their motivation was not the same. They would rather die than stand up and say, I'll give $10,000 to the building fund. That isn't God's plan or or program for giving. He wants us to do it secretly, quietly before Him. Let not your left hand know what your right hand do it. Now, when I read that, immediately my flag goes off and says, bring balance, bring balance. There are some people, for example, that will say, I will not give any check into the Lord's work because I don't want my left hand to what my right hand does. I'm going to reach in my right pocket and just put it in and I tell my left hand what it does in my left hand pocket. That's not what Jesus was saying. When God gives us a, a country, a nation where we have the right for to get a tax write-off for our gifts, the IRS is going to ask you how much you give anyway. If you say, well, nothing, that's up to you. If you want to give away money that should be coming back that you can use for the Lord's work, he's saying don't flaunt it in front of the people. Don't say, oh, I can remember times in my churches where people stood up and said, and "People said, God has given me a ministry gift or I mean a manifest motivational gift of giving. And uh, so if you'll pray for me that I'll make all this big commission over here, then I'll give 20% or 25% of the next. I think, just tell the Lord that. You don't have to tell the people that. Tell the Lord that. You know what? I never ever, I mean seriously, never have I ever seen that person, that type of person ever get the sale and get that commission and neither did the church did. Why? Because they already have their reward. Jesus said, be very quiet. Just go in your closet and tell me what you want to do and tell me how you want to do it and then trust me for it. Then if it comes in, you don't have to get up and shout and say, here's a thousand dollar check I'm going to put in the offering today. Lord Jesus, I just bring this to you as my high priest and I thank you that you're interceding for me, that you're the one that stands in my behalf, and because I'm your steward, I come in faithfulness and obedience to you, and I return this to you, and receive your blessing. You said you'd open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on us such as we cannot contain, and yet you'd rebuke the devourer, and I thank you, Fort Lord, and I'll just quietly slip in the offering plate in the Lord's work. And we'll do it that way, God can honor. Now, I want to show you the reason we're talking here about worshiping or loving the praise of men and the basic problem there is because of a fear of man. How many of you know that if you're worried about whether people praise you or not, you have too much concern about people? John three, nineteen. The fourth dangerous affection or relationship. John three nineteen through twenty one. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. Some of you will remember some years ago and it's in my book how a man had stated that any teaching that we were the type of teaching we were giving on marriage and divorce was condemnation preaching. And how Jeffrey spoke up and said, that's impossible. And the, young, the man looked at my son, who was who was a young man. My son was a young man. He looked at him like, who in the world do you think you are? He said, what do you mean? He said, sir, the Bible tells me, and this is condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light. My father is preaching truth. And the reason it's condemnation to you is because it's light, and you're turning from that light, and therefore you're calling it condemnation. And light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds are evil. So if you like darkness rather than light, then what he's saying becomes condemnation to you. But he's not preaching condemnation, and uh, that was kind of strong. The man stood there and stuttered for a few seconds and walked away. But uh, it's, it's interesting to see what God's word has to say concerning the subject of darkness. There are several portions of scripture I'd like for us to go through tonight when we're talking about loving darkness rather than light and its effect upon individuals. Luke the eleventh chapter, beginning with verse thirty-four. The darkness that it speaks about here talks about, it comes in, it, it shows up in the eye, whether you have a single eye or not a single eye. Verse 34. The light of the body is the eye. Therefore, when thine eye is single, thy whole body also is full of light. But when thine eye is evil, thy whole, thy body also is full of darkness. Take heed, therefore, that the light which is in thee be not darkness, if thy whole body therefore be full of light, having no dark part dark, the whole shall be full of light, as when the bright shining of a candle doth give thee light. Jesus said, your eye is the window to your soul. And when we're ministering in of deliverance, you'll, if you're involved in it, you'll know that we look in people's eyes because that's the window of their soul. And when we come against a particular spirit uh, and uh, come against it, it will always manifest itself in their eyes if it's there. Their eyes will either begin to dart back and forth, or they'll kind of glaze over, or they'll look down. They won't want to look at you. They'll try to close their eyes because they know that they're being exposed. And Jesus said that when we're single eye, what does it mean to be of a single eye? It means not to be of double purpose, not to be double minded. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. With part of your heart, with part of your soul, with part of your mind. No, that's what I said. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind. That's single-mindedness. And when you walk that way and walk in the light as he is in the light, you have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses from all sin. That's walking in the light. And when you have that single eye, that means it's not, you're not divided. Jesus said it's impossible to serve two masters at once. You must love the one and hate the other. Cling to the one and despise the other. And the only, that's the only way you will have light in your being, in your whole being. Being single minded, or to have a single eye. John the eighth chapter. John eight twelve. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. The first thing is we have to determine in our heart that we're going to follow Jesus Christ wholly, and when we follow him, he says, we'll not walk in darkness. Not only will there not be darkness inside of us, there will not be darkness outside of us. We'll not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. The light of life is the word of God because it's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. When we're single-minded, the word of God becomes a joy to us. You know, the book will either keep you from sin or sin will keep you from the book. You can't enjoy both of them at the same time very long. You've even got to repent and get back into the Word, or stay in the Word and not have to repent. I am the light of the world. That's the source of light, divine light. You see, the, the desire or the worship of the men's praise, and the Scripture says the last days that men will draw to them, preachers having itching ears, wanting to hear what they want to hear, and having the preachers say only what they want them to say, it's because you're too concerned about what people around you say. And I want to tell you something. If you ever want to take a strong stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ, you better get rid of that spirit. You better get that out of it. You. Because you're going to do nothing but compromise the rest of your life if you're worried about what people think or what people say in your relationship to Jesus Christ or anything else. Proverbs 29, 25. Memorize it. The fear of man bringeth a snare. But whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. If you and I fear whether men praise us or yell at us, scream at us, or compliment us, we're in trouble. There's only one thing you and I must be consciously aware of. What does the Lord think about what I'm doing? What does the Lord say about what I'm doing? What's his concern in my life? And I want to assure you, if, you have, if you're worried about the praise of men, you're never going to succeed for Jesus Christ in your work. If you're worried about what men say to you, you'll always be defeated. Because someone's going to come along and have a, they're going to have to be the water brigade, cold water brigade. They're going to throw a bucket of cold water on whatever you try to do for Jesus Christ. If you're concerned about what they think or what they say, I couldn't care less about what people that I minister to say, as long as I'm saying what the Word of God says. I say, if I offend you, I'm sorry. But if the Word of God offends you, turn around. If it's rubbing you the wrong way, turn around because this will never change. God's word is settled forever in the heavens. Once you get that down in your heart, when you tell people something, me, I've had people go out and witness, come back and say, I just can't witness anymore. I'm just, it just doesn't work. And you know, everybody gets mad at me. So what? Are you doing what Christ told you to do? They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting Christ. And if they're, not, and if they're rejecting Christ, they're rejecting God. If they're rejecting God, they're in trouble, not you. You're doing what the Lord wants you to do. But as long as you're motivated, and as long as you are influenced by what other people say or think, you'll always be defeated in your walk with Jesus Christ. When we think of the ten spies, or the, the twelve spies that went into the promised land and spied out the land and came back, there were ten of them, the majority of reports said, oh no, these they're, we're like grasshoppers in their, in their sight, and they'll just destroy, they'll wipe us up. And there were two young men who saw the same thing as the other ten saw, and they said, God said we can take it, let's go in, we'll wipe them all away. They haven't got a chance. God says he's going to give us the victory, let's go right now. The end result was, people wanted to stone them. Let me tell you something, that was hard for Joshua and Caleb to have to stand when they come back and 10 out of 12 said, no, let's not do it. And the other two had to say, hey, forget what's in there. God is with us and that's all we need. They're ready to be stoned. God judged that nation. Many were killed by a plague. The 10 disciples, the 10 uh, false spies were immediately killed. God killed all 10 of them. God says, the rest of you get out there in the wilderness and every one of you above the age of 20 are going to die. Every one of you will die. And the only ones that won't be will Joshua and Caleb. They'll come back to after the promised land. But let me tell you something. They could have very easily said, hey, maybe we're wrong. It's a minority report. The other ten might be right. But you see, they weren't basing upon what they saw. They were basing upon what? What God said. God said, go into the land and I'll give it to you. He said, I don't care. The bigger they come, the harder they fall. I and mean, then let's go. Anytime you take that kind of stand, you're always going to have people around telling you, we need to get rid of this sucker. He's, in, he, he's just nothing but a troublemaker. He's divisive. He's just trying to tear things up. He's trying to mess up our whole society. You know what? I say, that's tough. If it's what the word says, that's tough. Move or get out, get out of the way. I'm going to keep on saying what God said. I want to tell you something. Even if you stand totally alone, if you're right, God will still honor you. You can't do it if you have the fear of man in your heart. There's got to be the fear of God in your heart that supersedes every other fear. And those two men, God rewarded them. Every one of the others died. All the false ones died. But those two were preserved. And at 80 years of age, Caleb said, Moses promised, God promised me some, the land back here when I, 40 years ago, and he said, I'm 80 years of age and now, I'm just as tough as I was then, I'm just like a cross-cut saw, so it's gonna take two men to handle me, get out of the way, I'm gonna take that mountain for God. 80 years, all the rest of them died, but here God preserved his strength because what? He stood for what was right. He couldn't have cared less what the rest of them said. I wonder if they've got, men didn't start picking up stones to so throw out them, and they said, have at it, fellas, I'm not gonna change. He that followeth me, that's Shall not walk in darkness. That's the course of divine light. But shall have the light of life. That's the force of divine light. Romans 1, beginning with verse 18. Romans 1, 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, or suppress, actually it suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifested in them, for God hath showed it unto them, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. They are without excuse because that when they knew, in other words, by experience, they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkness, was dar- darkened. professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. He said they knew truth, and then they turned away from that truth, and it became darkness. Again, I say, when you come to the light and then turn from that light, greater is the darkness than before. It's harder to see light again after you've turned away from the, the true light. That's another aspect of it. First Peter, chapter two. declares to us what happens when we come to Jesus Christ and what the calling of Christ means in our life that you are a chosen generation a royal priesthood and holy nation a peculiar people that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his what into his marvelous light Christ has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light He says, this is condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light. One of the first signs of darkness is that our deeds are evil. The second one is that our foolish heart becomes darkened, and consequently we do not come to the light. That's what brings on condemnation in the life of an individual. The Word of God tells us we have to determine and judge where we are. We have to make sure that we do not love darkness rather than light. It's our choice. God says there's two ways before you. You choose the way you'll walk. And when you walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with him. But if we turn away from it, great is the darkness thereof. And he says, then the law automatically kicks in. The universal law is sowing and reaping. What did James say? Don't blame God when you go into temptation, because every man is led astray by his own lust, his own desire. Consequently, what we sow, we reap. If we sow to the flesh, we reap corruption. If we sow the Spirit, we reap life and joy and peace in the Holy Ghost. You and I have to understand that we must determine that we're not going to love darkness rather than light. That's a dangerous affection. Let me go on to the next affection, and that's found in 1 John, 1 John, the second chapter, beginning with the 15th verse. And the dangerous affection here would be love for the world. 1 John 2, beginning with verse 15. John says, love not the world, and that word there is cosmos, it means the order or the behavior or the fashion uh, and government of the world, the government system of this world. But love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world and the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. John is saying here, you and I must develop a clear sight in our eyes, not have the stigmatism of looking at the things of this world and thinking that they're precious to us. And it's very, very hard in this day of materialism to get our eyes off of the things. He said, not only don't love the government system, but don't love the things that are in the world. Don't set your heart on things in this world because they're not going to last. Peter is saying, seeing that all these things are going to come upon the earth, what manner of persons ought we to be with all godliness, all holiness? What things are coming on the earth? This whole world is going to be consumed by fire. Everything that we count precious will be gone. Now it may not happen in your lifetime, but it's going to happen. But everything you and I accumulate here in this life, we do not dare set our hearts on it. We do not dare to begin to say, this is mine, I'm going to hold on to it, but let me tell you, the minute you do it, God will cause it to be like flaxseed. Have any of you ever tried to hold a fistful of flaxseed? You squeeze a fistful of flaxseed and you end up with an empty hand. It just, gone. It's just so slick. It's out of your hands. And that's exactly what happens when we begin to love this present world. God doesn't want us to. And in 2 Timothy, the 4th chapter, I want you to see a tragic story. 2 Timothy, the 4th chapter. The three young men thrown in the fiery furnace couldn't care less what the rest of the world said. King, you want to throw us in the furnace? Go for it. We're still not going to bow down. You know, God is looking for people who don't have a fear of men in them; rather, have a, an awesome fear of God. And when the king looked into the furnace, what did he see? Four people. None of them bound. One was like unto the son of God. Now, I want to tell you something. The children, the three Hebrew children, did not know when they got thrown in that furnace. That they were going to be fireproof. And they were ready, they took probably took a last breath and here it comes, fried French fries, here right in the fire. And they were walking around in the fire. Now I want to tell you something. It could have worked out differently. They could have been consumed by that fire, but it didn't make any difference. Because Jesus said, Don't fear what men can do unto you. Anybody can harm your body, but rather fear God, who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Don't worry about what men can do or say to you. Look at Galatians, the sixth chapter, beginning with the eleventh verse. Paul says, You see how large a letter I have written unto you with mine own hand? As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised, that they may glory in your flesh. But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be upon peace be on them and mercy and upon the, the Israel of God. From henceforth let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirits. Amen. Now look back there at verse 12, what he's saying here. He said, I couldn't care less. I have been crucified with the world. The world's been crucified. To this. this world offers me nothing. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. But in verse 12 there, it's interesting how he said, As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. They said the Jews are yelling at us because we're professing some kind of faith and we're not making people get circumcised. And we don't like to have the Jews come after us all the time, so they're trying to get you to become circumcised so that they won't get in trouble with the Jewish people in that day, the Jewish believers in that day. Some Jewish believers, that, for which the book of Galatians was written, uh, saying that you have to go back and do some of the things of the law in order to be saved. He said these people are doing it because they're afraid what others will say to them, so they compromise. I want to tell you something, a lot of people in the church today that are doing that same thing, well, you know, we're living in the 90s now. And so we've got to give in here, we've got to give in, we've got to be a little bit different now. I mean, there are things today that we, young people do that would not even have been dreamed of years ago. There are denominations that, are having, that have people in their congregations today that are doing things that when I was a kid, they would never even have allowed them to be members of the church while they're still doing those things. Involved in the things and the ways of the world. But we've come to a stage nowadays where, you know, we don't want to ruffle anybody's feathers. And again, I keep seeing what Jesus said. When I come again, will there be any faith? Why? Because we go away from what God says to what feels good. Do my own thing. Self-centeredness. And after all, we don't dare say too much because we don't want to ruffle too many feathers and cause problems. I've had pastors say to me, I believe what you're saying is true, but boy, I just could not preach it in my church. I talked to a friend of mine up north this last week in Minnesota. And this person was very deeply involved in, in this church, and to the place where he was retired as a young man, he was successfully a uh, successful in business to where he could retire at the age of about 42 or 43, something like that. And he told the church, he said, "I'll uh, oversee the construction of the new sanctuary." He took his time for months, close to a year, building a whole new sanctuary. And this was about three years ago. And so I called and asked him about the possibility of uh, getting into that church to sing and speak while I was up there. And, and he said, I really don't. And I said, the last time I called, the pastor said, no, we couldn't use you. We're booked up. And I said, well, how about this time? That No, we're booked up. We're booked up. We're booked up. I said, I get the feeling that he doesn't want me to come. He said, he probably doesn't. He said, uh, in fact, we're thinking seriously of having to leave the church. And I said, why is this? He said, because the pastor is allowing anything that makes a shadow in the door to come in. And he doesn't preach on anything specifically or anything straight out because he wants to see the church begin to grow. Remember what I said. Christ called us to set a standard not to gain a following. And if in setting that standard we gain a following, all the better. But if we gain a following by not setting that standard, then we shall suffer. One aspect of our example of someone who loved the world. 2 Timothy 4, verse 10. Paul says, For Demas hath forsaken me, haven't loved this present world. Another translation said he loved the good things of this life. Let me tell you, I know there are many men out in the ministry, out of the ministry today that are trying to accumulate things. They got discouraged in the ministry, got disappointed, got their eyes on people. Uh, And let me tell you something, there are some churches that uh, would be enough to discourage anyone. They do everything they can to try to give a pastor a hard time, and many of them have given up the call to go out and begin to seek after earthly things and try to get on their feet get established, and have forgotten to realize that Jesus Christ is their source. And if you and I realize that no matter what comes our way, now right now some of you say, well, I'm really struggling. Maybe the day will come and you'll have more than you can handle. But either way, you have to realize that God is my source, and God, I I am a steward of God, therefore I'm going to be held responsible for whether I have a very little, one talent, or if I have ten talents. And so if I'm faithful with the one, then God can trust me with two, and with five, and with ten. But if I'm not faithful with the one, he'll never be able to trust me with more. And that's why we do not want to set our affections. Since then ye be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth at the right hand of the Father. Don't seek these things on earth. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. How are they added? It's the Lord that gives us the power to get well. God himself knows how to cause you and me to prosper. He can bring something into your life where all of a sudden abundance will flow to you, but why should he if he can't trust you with what he's given you already? Very important for us to understand even Paul the Apostle when speaking to Timothy, he said, now if you're going to bring leaders into the church, give them little jobs. Let those jobs even be tedious, more or less the emphasis. Give them little jobs and see if they're faithful. If they are, give them a little bit more. Give them a little bit more. Give them a little bit more work. And see where their level of faithfulness is. By that, you'll be able to tell whether they're leaders enough. They're going to be leaders enough. Well, I'm, you know, I'm above that little task over there, but then you're, you're not humbling yourself. You're not willing to put yourself down and humble yourself that God might exalt you. Remember what I told you as a farm boy? I always found out, cream never has to kick to get to the top. Cream automatically floats to the top. And if you and I are going to be used as cream for God to come to the top, we don't have to kick to get there. We just have to be servants. Be humble and serve Christ in every way we possibly can. And seek first the kingdom of God. And uh, he says that he'll bless us accordingly. So Demas gave up the ministry and went back to seek the things of this present world. I want to encourage you, don't get discouraged when everything doesn't seem to work out in your time period. As things work out, thank the Lord for that day. Thank you, Father, for this day. What did he say? Give us this day our daily bread. Sufficient unto the day, Jesus said, is the evil thereof. I know it's nice to make long-term goals, and we want to say, well, tomorrow I'm going to go do thus and such, but the Word of God says, don't say that. You've got to say, the Lord willing, tomorrow I will go do thus and such. And as long as we're aware of that, that we can do nothing outside of Jesus Christ that's uh, recognizable by God, that's worthwhile. Unless we do it in the name of Christ and in obedience to God's word, knowing that it's the Lord that's leading us into it or out of it. Very important for us to understand that. That's, that's the principle, part of the principle of sanctification. Not my will, but thine be done. Another good example is found in Genesis the 19th chapter. Love for the world. Genesis 19. Verse 26. Remember some time ago telling you about uh, a little boy in Sunday school that I came home from Sunday school and... no, he was in Sunday school and the teacher was telling the story about Lot and Lot's wife and how she turned into a pillar of salt and he said, big deal. Said, what do you mean, big deal? He said, I was riding my mom in the car this week and she turned into a, looked back and turned into a telephone post. Verse 26 of Genesis 19. But his wife looked back from behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. She became a pillar of salt. Why, why did she look back? I've heard a lot of speculation. The principle is her heart was still in Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, a lot of times God will test us to find out where our heart really is. I remember years ago, God wants us to set a standard, not to draw gain a following. We have to say what God says, and if there will be people that will follow that, good. If they don't follow it, they're a problem. So important. And this, this young man said, we can't be there anymore. I mean, he's bringing in anything. divorced, remarried, bringing him in a place of leadership. Uh, and he will not preach on anything absolute anymore. He said, we haven't been taught that way, Pastor Joe. And we can't stand still for it. And I thought, there goes another situation where churches are being blown apart because some people are trying to stay faithful to the Word of God. While others are saying, but these are the 90s. You don't understand. We've got to, you know, we've got to give a little bit here. That comes because of the fear of man, and the fear of man is a snare to us, the word of God said. 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter. 2 Timothy, chapter four. And beginning with the 14th verse. Alexander the coppersmith, Paul said, did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. Of whom we, uh, of whom be thou ware also, for he hath greatly withstood our words. At first my answer, excuse me, at my first answer no man stood with me but all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding the Lord stood with me and strengthened me that by me the preaching might be fully known and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom to whom be glory forever and ever. Salute Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus abode at Corinth, but Trophimus have I left at Miletum. Do diligence to come before winter. Jubilus, greeteth thee, and Pudens, and Linus, and Claudius, and all the brethren. The Lord Jesus Christ be with thy spirit, grace be with you. Amen. Now the verse I want you to look at especially is up there in verse 16. He said, at my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. Alexander the coppersmith came against Paul and Paul stood up for what the Word said and began to say what the Word said and he said because of the unpopularity uh, in the community all the rest of the people forsook me, all left. And he said, that's alright. I hope the Lord doesn't judge them for it. I want to tell you something, the Lord does judge us for it. If we don't say what God says, if we compromise, we will be judged. Paul the Apostle had to stand all alone and he went on to say that notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and Strengthen me. I would rather have the encouragement and the strengthening of the Lord any day than the encouragement and strengthening of man. All the apostles said the Lord strengthened him that by him, in spite of what the other people said, in spite of what the other people did because of their fear of man, the fear of losing popularity, he went on preaching and that the gospel was fully known and that all Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. He said, I didn't need anybody else. I know there are a lot of pastors today that are very, very fearful of saying what the Word says in many areas today because if they do, they can lose their ordination, they can lose their retirement, they can lose their church, they can get in to be blackball listed as far as their denomination is concerned. And it's an awesome pressure on them. But I want to tell you something. I would rather be blackballed from every denomination and every church in the nation than to compromise God's Word in any way. Why? Because the Lord will stand with us. My God shall supply all my need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He can cause a fish to bring a gold coin and I can catch the right fish with a gold coin that's not. He can cause a parrot to land in my tree in my yard. He can allow some fuel oil to be left in my oil tank down next to my house like He has in the past. He can allow all sorts of things to happen to bring finances to me if I'm faithful to him, he'll make a way where there isn't. He can cause a man to come and say, God told me to give you a new car. He can do whatever he has to do. He can have a man come and say, God spoke to me six weeks ago and said, here, I'm supposed to make your payment of $15,650 for you. Here's the check for God can do anything that has to be done when we're obedient to him and all the rest of them can flee. If you and I want to succeed, we've got to get rid of the fear of man. When Beverly and I came to the place we had bought a four-plank, thought the Lord opened the door for us to get it. We said, Lord, it's yours. Finances weren't coming in. We didn't know how we are going to make our payments. We were down to some pop bottles and milk bottles on the steps to the basement. We had our refrigerator was the basement steps. If you wanted it to be cold, you put it on the bottom step. If you wanted it to freeze, you put it on the top step, going up out of the basement. And we didn't know what we were going to do. We just said, God, we we'll give it all back to you. We don't want it unless you want us to have it. We we'll thank you for it ahead of time. But you're going to show us exactly what to do, we just release it to you. And she was about three weeks or four weeks away from Jeffrey being born. And instantly, when we agreed to give it back to the Lord, I was, within a few hours, I got a telephone call, and that's when the church bond work began to open up for me. And by the time Jeffrey was born, I went to the hospital, paid cash for him, bought a new stove, a new refrigerator, a new freezer, and a washer and dryer for Beverly. Now, I, I, what I'm trying to show you is when you submit, and say, God, it's not important. That's not important to him. Just show us what to do. And if we really mean it, God says we can open the windows of heaven for our blessings. We can't contain it. We can make a way where there is no way. We almost lost our property here in Longwood one time. We fasted for 17 days. seeking God's face. And said so, God, we give it back to you. If that's what you want, do.' somebody came and gave us $16,500 and said, God told me to pay that payment for you. What I'm trying to show you here is we don't have to have a love for the world and the things of the world. We are stewards of God. This isn't mine, Lord. It's yours. What do you want to do? Do you want somebody else to have it? Great. What do you want us to do? Show us. That's all we're asking. Please show us. Remain disengaged. Luke nine sixty-two. Let's go back to verse sixty-one. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me bid, first go bid them farewell which are home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plough and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Powerful verse. No man putting his hand to the plough and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. He's saying, Once you make that decision, to follow him. What did he say you should do? He said, don't be like the man that's getting ready to go to war and doesn't sit down first of all and count the cost. Don't be like the man who started to build a house and didn't have enough money to finish it before he got down and found out he didn't have enough money to finish it. Everybody went by and said he was a fool. He said, before you make that commitment to me, you make it complete that regardless of what happens, what I get, what I don't get, what happens to me, what happens to my family, what happens to my loved ones, All those things are irrelevant. The most important thing is, what does God want me to do? He says, once you've made that commitment, put your hands to the plow. Don't look back. You'll make a jog in the furrow. Very important for us to understand that. A principle that cannot change. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind. This is sanctification. This is commitment. Jesus said, don't say it. and not mean it. Don't put your hand to the plow and look back. If you do, you're not even fit for the kingdom of God. Then we'll turn over to Hebrews, the sixth chapter. Hebrews chapter six talks about what happens when people do look back and go back. Hebrews chapter six, A very serious thing. Verses one through four. Therefore, Leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on under perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and the faith toward God, of, doctor, of the doctrine of baptism, and of laying on of hands, and of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this will we do, if God permit. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift, and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost, and have fast uh, tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away, to renew them again under repentance, seeing they crucified themselves, uh, the Son of God afresh, and put Him to open shame. He says, once you've made that commitment, don't go back. Don't let the world hold you aside. How about the rich farmer? What did the rich farmer, or the rich fool, really say He says, Boy, God's been so good to me. I'm telling you, I, I mean, my barns are all full. What shall I do? And then look at all the personal pronouns. What shall I do? I know what I will do. I will pull down my barns and I will build bigger barns and I will say to my soul, Soul, take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. God just spoke up and said, You fool, you missed it all. Tonight you're going to die. I don't know who's all these things going to be. I want to tell you something. That message can be preached every single day in this country. I know what I'll do. I'm a self-made man. I mean, I've... Look at me, fellows. I mean, I have the talent and ability that I've got. I can do whatever has to be done. God said, you fool. I can't tell you how many times in the years of my ministry I've talked to men and I've said, you know, you, you don't have forever. You've got to make that commitment to Jesus Christ. Well, I'm going to have my fun first. I'm going to have my fun first. But in just a few days I've had the thing. But God said, you fool. I spirit will not always strive with me. It's time now. Come now. Let us breathe and let us thank the Lord. We don't dare allow the love for the world to take us over. Then if we allow the world to come and we begin to hunger for the world, I want you to turn to Psalm 106. I want to tell you, there are a lot of people that ask God for things and it destroys them. We have to be very careful what we ask for because we might get it. Some people think, oh, if I could just get what I asked the Lord for. Sometimes you don't want to get what you ask for. There are times when I asked God for things and He didn't give it to me and I was really frustrated. And I had to come back later and ask Him to please forgive me because if He would given me what I asked for, I would have been in a mess. I really would have had problems then. Psalm 106, beginning with verse 7. David says, Our fathers understood not thy wonders in Egypt. They remembered not the multitude of thy mercies, but provoked him at the sea, even at the Red Sea. Nevertheless, he saved them for his namesake that he might make his mighty power to be known. He rebuked the Red Sea also, and it was dried up. So he led them through the depths as through the wilderness. Now I want you to notice that. It did not say he led them through the reedy area of the lake where it was two feet deep, or a foot deep. It said he led them through the depths. There are a lot of people in our cemeteries today that tell you that the water was only 12 inches deep and that God caused an earthquake out in the sea and it sucked all the water out and pulled it away and then uh, the Israelites went across then the, the water came back and it swept them off with a tidal wave into the deep water where the Egyptians were making the across. And he led them through the depths. He took them to the deepest part of the sea. Okay, And he saved them from the hand of him that hated them and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. And the waters covered their enemies. There was not one of them left. Then believed they his words and they sang his praise. Remember when they, the women got their... Uh, tambourines and start dancing before the Lord. Oh man, this is wonderful. We got delivered from the Egyptians. But then look, they soon forgot his works. They waited not for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. And he gave them their request, but what? Sent leanness to their souls. Sometimes we'll ask God for something and he'll say, well, if that's what you want, I'll give it to you, but I'll tell you, you'll see it from they don't dare crave and, and hunger for the things that are in this world. They wanted meat. God sent them meat. But the minute they started chewing that meat, a plague hit them. They got what they wanted. They paid a horrible price for them. That's why we should love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind. And seek those things which are above where Christ sits at the right hand. It's very dangerous for you and me if we begin to love the things of the world. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. But the love of the Father. Love the world is not of the Father. You know, we have to be very careful not to love the world's fashions. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body as a living sacrifice, holy, H O L Y, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. But be a new and different kind of person in all that you do, that you can prove by your very activity. But that which is of God is good and acceptable and perfect. Don't let the world pull you in this fashion. You find out what's right in God's sight and what makes you look like a gentleman or a lady, and you dress accordingly. And God you for you.